Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from the Lancet Global Health. It is January 2023, and I'm Liam Messin. This month, I'm joined by Rafila Masikila, Associate Professor and Head of Department of Pediatrics and Child Health at the University of Kwazula, Natal, Durban, South Africa, and Professor Luis Garcia Marcos, Professor of Pediatrics, University of Masia, Spain. They are co-authors on a new study investigating the control and management of asthma worldwide. I started by asking Louise to explain what research gaps the current work was trying to fill, especially given that asthma, one of the world's most common non-communicable diseases, must have already been pretty conclusively studied. Well, I think one, one of the most important topics with, with asthma is precisely that the part of being a very widespread and a very, from the point of epidemiology, a very frequent disease uh, is not very well studied. Or it's been studied a lot, but it is not very well known. And there are, you know, really very, very big gaps about that. Uh, starting for the first one, which is we really don't know what the cause of the disease is. If we have only one disease, in fact, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people think that it's a, you know, it's just a syndrome. It's a, it's, it's, it's almost a symptom. So uh, under this symptom, you can have a lot of diseases. So that that's the first gap, and it is a very important one. But it's also another one, and uh, we've got a quite effective treatment with mainly inhaled corticosteroids and short or long-acting beta-2 agonists. And usually, just using those two drugs, you can control most of asthma cases. But the thing is, despite having these uh, quite effective uh, drugs, uh, a lot of uh, cases are not very well controlled at all. But um, uh, we didn't have, until now, a clear idea of what's going on worldwide, especially in different settings, such as, you know, high-income countries or low-income countries and how, you know, the situations in, in those countries, uh, mainly uh, due to economic reasons, can affect the control of asthma. So I think in this paper, we, we are offering, you know, a very good information about what's going on here and there and uh, uh, to what extent uh, asthma is well or not well controlled despite the good medication we've got available. And then perhaps you could tell us how you went about filling some of these gaps. What did you do in the study and what did you find out? Well, as I was saying, um, we got this uh, lack of control in, in, in many asthma cases and that causes an, an enormous morbidity and uh, really considerable mortality as well. I mean, it, you shouldn't apparently have any any mortality from asthma, but in, in fact, you've got it. And, and those deaths are probably perfectly avoidable if we use treatments correctly. We had no idea uh, in general terms and in, in a very wide picture of, of the world to what extent this uh, this uh, asthma or these asthma cases were not controlled. What we are having here is, uh, you know, it's uh, the, really the worldwide picture of the lack of control of asthma and how 
um, asthma medicines are used. So if we've got this uh, perspective, um, a very wide and, and global perspective, we probably can look for better solutions of how to, you know, fill in the gap of uncontrolled asthma, if you want to call it this way. That I mean, we've got a lot of data, of course, because there's a lot of people uh, contributing with data to, to this to this uh, paper, of course. But um, I would like to just summarize the findings here in in four bullet or four uh, important points, or the main ones at, at least. And the first one is that too many asthmatics are not well controlled, despite the possibility we've got of controlling them. Two, what is I think it's probably a very important one, uh, the gross national income, the economy of the country makes a difference. And we have found that the lower GNI or gross national income country, countries uh, have uh, usually a proportion of uh, ill control asthmatic, which is higher than in the higher uh, GNI countries. But even in those countries in, in which economy is not a problem in terms of uh, availability of drugs for asthma, uh, asthma is not well controlled. So uh, it's not a matter only of having those drugs available. It's probably more than that. And I think I, I would like to underline a fourth point, which is that the proportion of asthmatics with severe asthma are not, for whatever the reasons, and this is, could be a very interesting point, are not on inhaled corticosteroids, which are the cornerstones of asthma treatment. Rafoli, this study covers children, adolescents and adults. Did we see any age-dependent associations, say in regards to treatment options or um, asthma control? Uh, thanks, Liam. Well, uh we didn't specifically look for that in the study, but we did find some really interesting findings when we're looking uh, across the age groups. In the children, 67-year-olds and the adolescents, 13 to 14, compared to the adults, what we found was uh, quite interesting in that children actually had poorer asthma control when they were compared to the adolescents and adults, and that proportion was also uh, I think going back to Louis's point, children that were in the low middle income countries as well as the low income countries actually had poor asthma control. And I think that is also linked to the issue around access to medication, which we touch on uh, slightly. But also, again, what we also found, which was also quite interesting, is that in the children who had poorer asthma control, the ones that had severe asthma actually had higher use of oral medicines. And the oral medicines that were mostly used in about 20% of these children were theophilins. Now, asthma medicines, the anti-inflammatory medicines, have been around for over half a century. Theophilins are not recommended in any guideline um, for use of uh, for control of asthma, except in the WHO essential medicines list. The reason these drugs should not be used is because they have a very neurotherapeutic index. And we, quite sadly, a fifth of children in these uh, low genie countries are actually using these medicines when they have severe symptoms. So that is concerning. 
And then when we also looked at differences between adults and children, we also saw that uh, the children uh, compared to the adolescents as well as the adults, if you look at the proportions of asthma control in, in the younger children, only 40% had good control, about half of the adolescents and just around 60% of adults. So that's also telling us a story. We know that the anti-inflammatory therapies, the um, uh, inhalers, may be available, but for younger children, there seems to be then reluctance because in the same countries, it seems that children are not being given these um, essential drugs to control asthma. And that's not surprising that we're seeing that these are the, this is a group of people who have poorer control and they're actually not using the correct medicines uh, to control their asthma. Well, thank you very much. I suppose I should also ask, were there any other factors other than age that seem to impact asthma management or control? I think, again, touching on the point of uh, uh, asthma severity, what was also quite interesting, and it was also linked to uh, Genie, was when people had more severe asthma, we saw that there was a weak association with them having asthma action plan. Now, in any asthmatic, when we manage them, we sh any asthmatic should actually have an action plan. Whether you have an exacerbation, you should be, you know, you should know which medication to use for your an attack, how often to use it, when to present to a doctor. And it seems that in, in, in the lower income countries, especially, it's only those patients that had more severe symptoms that it was only then that they were given these action plans, which really talks to the fact that it seems that if you're not well, if you are well controlled, perhaps we don't know, of course, we didn't look for this, that perhaps these individuals are not being given plans. It's only when healthcare workers see that you have very severe symptoms that it's only then that's triggered. That's also just talks to one of the gaps that need to be addressed, that we are not giving enough or sufficient education to our patients to be able to have access to these. This really is uh, quite important health information they should have available already at hand with them. Another thing that we found that was quite interesting is that as you uh, as your country became poorer, you had more severe disease. I think this is well recognized. It's it's well published that access to inhalers in poorer countries is largely unavailable, and even when it's available. People choose to not use these drugs because they are too expensive. So I think we've also just shown that in, in these countries, access to these short-acting beta agonists is actually higher than the most important medicines, which are the anti-inflammatory liver treatments. Now, there's also other drugs to control more severe asthma, the long-acting beta, uh, long beta agonists, which are ad, uh, used as add-on therapy. And we also found that use of these long-acting beta agonists was actually lower in lower genie countries. And they should have been used in people who had more severe asthma. So another issue really just pointing to the access to treatments across OG, uh, the, the low-income countries and most importantly, overuse of reliever treatments which should only just be there for symptomatic relief, and they're not really addressing the key problem, which is the issue of uh, the inflammation in the in the airways.
So I think those were the critical uh, additional findings that we, we found. Thank you very much, uh, both of you. That's a very, you know, there's a large data set here. There's a lot of information uh, you found out. So how would you hope these findings are used to help patients, to help policymakers or, or anyone else? If I may, I would like to put this into context. And, and the context is this is not uh, a kind of group of people trying to get information from, you know, several places all over the world. Uh, this is something called the Global Asthma Network, implying that there's a lot of people, a lot of centers involved here, and uh, we are trying to attract attention to asthma, uh, not only with this specific paper, with, but also with other, you know, initiatives, including something called the Global Asthma Report. I've got it here, and, and it's available in the, in the um, Googling Global Asthma Report. In spite of trying to do so, we find that, um, you know, we, are, we haven't been able to attract attention that the, I think the, the, the disease deserves. Because, for instance, in, in my place in Spain, asthma is killing as many people as traffic accidents, for instance. And uh, we've got malaria. Malaria is killing a lot of people all over the world, but asthma is killing not exactly the same amount, but close to the, the, the amount of people that malaria is killing. So um, I don't know exactly why uh, asthma is so, you know, unknown as a killer, if you want to put it. But, you know, forgetting about killing, you've got morbidity as well. And there's a lot of people around. I mean, we are, we are speaking not about 10% of people having the problem or maybe 10% in, in terms of childhood and adolescence and maybe a little less in adulthood. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people around. There's a lot of million people, several million people having problems all, all over the world. So this is another step. I mean, the findings of the paper, returning to your question, uh, this is, a, you know, another step trying to, to attract attention to this. And uh, I think there are two very important points. Uh, thank you. And yeah, I think I think that's a very good point. I was speaking to Yap Baum recently and he 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 made the point to me that uh we should stop necessarily seeing the paper as the kind of final thing, right? Like it is it is just a step on the process. I think we as journals are very, very perhaps biased to seeing like the paper as the thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I was speaking to Yap recently, he was very, very clear. So thank you for thank you for adding that point. Now, the, uh, this was published in the Lancet Global Health. Uh so I would like to ask some questions about the practical concerns of a study study like this. What does it take to put together a piece of work like this that is, that is truly global um, in scope? That really, I think this global piece is really testament to the strength of the global asthma network. Of course, the global asthma network is, is, is an extension of what was previously known as the Isaac study or the International Study of Asthma and Allergies in Children. And it's been around since 1991. And I think the strength of this is we have more than uh, 380 collaborators worldwide and uh, in all different types of countries with different um, socioeconomic circumstances, different asthma treatment guidelines, just different strategies, different plans. And I think really this is the strength of this network of people that are, uh, uh, are really passionate about asthma as a problem 
and they're willing to investigate it. And of course, the Global Asthma Network is really an investigator-led study. So people in these uh, countries make a decision. I think asthma is a problem and I'd really like to be involved. And of course, having using the same methodology, collecting da- data in a very uniform way is extremely important so that we can try to answer some some questions at a global level using the same methodology in many, many countries. And I think this is a strength of, of the Global Asthma Network. So uh, to really get a, a kind of study published like this, I think it's really testament to, to the Global Asthma Network family, all of the members worldwide who always put up their hands whenever we send out a call of important questions that we like to be answered around asthma, and they do so. So I think this, that's really one of the biggest strengths and why we are able to uh, publish a paper with more than 400,000 participants from all over the world. I think that, that's uh, truly amazing. And um, it's really testament to the continuing engagement of researchers across the world. Finally, uh, I have to ask then, what's next for your groups uh, and the network? The next piece of research, the next piece of advocacy uh, project you're working on? Well, uh, yeah, uh, that's a very specific uh, question and I'll try to be very specific in, in the answer. And well, we are trying to attract attention. We have put some numbers in control of asthma and affordability to, to medicines. But probably politicians move, um, depending on money, money is still moving the world. So what we are trying to do now is to put the, you know, the costs of this. And, and probably uh, what is more important that the costs of, of, of having asthma and control. And probably if, uh, uh policymakers, uh, realize that, uh, controlling asthma or investing in asthma control, is uh, economically profitable and you can you know just have uh, you have to invest less money in terms of health if you invest in control rather than investing in curing asthma attacks or asthma eq stains etc etc so our next step is uh, trying to put numbers in terms of dollars or euros or whatever of uh, 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 control asthma. Thank you, and you can read their research online now on thelancet.com. Thank you again to both of our interviewees, and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast any place you usually get podcasts.